There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, in the first of our two Premier League season preview podcasts, I'm delighted to welcome back, as always, it's now a bit of a tradition, from second captains, Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you uh, feeling about me and you, probably one of three or four people now not working for The Athletic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how am I feeling about it? Uh, I'm, I'm watching it with, uh, with great interest. Yeah. And I wish everybody well. I mean, I hope I'm not a bit like a kind of, you know, Native American looking down from the mountain at like the, you know, the explorers um, <laughs> building their first camp, uh, you know, just the beach side. Well, you know, they seem to be working. They seem like good people. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll wait and we'll wait and see. I mean, there's that quote from the founder of the Atlantic from a couple of years ago about like wanting to rip out the guts of newspapers spill their kill the pig drink his blood or something something along those lines yes um but uh the the rhetoric is toned down a little bit now so yeah uh yeah i'm i've been uh, i've subscribed anyway so yeah i subscribed i took advantage of the the 50 percent offer for the first year it's not bad it's not bad i mean 29 quid for the year yeah i saw something the other day i mean it was in the form of a twitter infographic uh, which is obviously the ideal uh, medium to transmit lies of all kinds, but it was <laughs> basically it was, ca- it was claiming that Britain's membership of the EU was uh, was equivalent to twenty nine pounds per person. The UK's you know twenty nine pounds per person per year, so about the same cost as subscribing to the Athletic at fifty percent discount, and you get like you know rights to work in other countries and whatnot. Yeah, although obviously these things aren't prized by everybody. Of course not. If only it had been fifty-two percent off, maybe it would have well, hit the mark. But I, but I mean, it is it is sort of what the what the future holds. And obviously, you guys at Second Captains have been doing it for a couple of years now, where people pay you uh, a smidgen of money every month for for your excellent content. And uh, here at Ars Blog, people uh, do the same with with Patreon. Um, it it just seems to be the way that it's going to go. If you want quality content nowadays, you 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 might have to pay for it. Well, the, I mean, the the anomaly was the sort of twenty year period in between when you didn't have to pay for it. You know, because previously, obviously, it wasn't like they were just doling out magazines and newspapers for free. I mean, you it was accepted that you like bought it, <laughs> you know, or the, the physical edition, subscribe to the, yeah, I mean, then the only way of getting it, but like, you know, the, the notion that like, this is some alien concept, I mean, it, it, it is sort of the way things have been more or less since the invention of printing until uh, the year 2000, you know. Yeah, but it has taken a while, hasn't it, for 
for that th- to catch up in, in internet terms, for example, where there's an equivalence between what you pay online for a service rather than buying, you know, stuff off wherever you buy stuff, whether it's clothes or gear or Amazon or whatever, you know, people will pay for stuff in that sense. But the idea that a service that you get on the internet uh, content might be worth the same amount of money online as in your pocket if you were to go out and buy the same thing in a shop, it has taken a while to get here. Because all the newspapers um, decided to just put it up on their on their websites for free. I mean, that's what that's what happened. You know, I mean, I guess. I mean, why did why did it happen that way? I guess I, originally because the people who were who sort of made the decision to do that didn't use the internet. I mean, they'd kind of grown up in a world without it, and it wasn't really factoring their thinking. It was kind of like everyone else is doing it, so should we? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like oh, that that'll be a nice sort of additional thing. We can show that we're like modern. We have you know. A website, and I suppose we'll just put this up on the website. Should nobody uses this thing anyway? You know, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of the way. And then obviously, it completely changes the entire world. And it's like, how do we now figure out how to make people pay for mm. our content again, which everybody was doing unthinkingly until it turned out they didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and you know, it's obviously it's not so mm. like the the um, time of free content is over. Uh, I mean, there's any amount of it, like, but I think it is kind of, you know, people have a appreciation of the fact that the f- function of content in, if if you're getting it free, is this bait for a hook, you know, it's about something else. Yeah. It's like how to get your attention in order to give you the real message, which is about something that you can buy. So, um, yeah, I mean... I, I don't know. I think it's it's going to be um, if, you, if we're talking about the Atlantic. Like I've, I've looked at, there's already some good stuff. They've definitely got some really good writers, um, and oh yeah, I mean I, I hope it goes well. But yeah, I mean, it's not like it's kind of a weird a weird revolution that like gets us back to where we were in like 1453 or whatever it was, <laughs> you know. So. Uh, so yeah, that's back to the future. Right? Yeah. Okay. So how has your how has your summer been? Are you refreshed from a relative lack of football? Even though there has been quite an amount of football on over yeah. the summer, the summer seems to be extending longer and longer into June, and then the gap between the end of official football yeah. and the start of preseason and preseason now, of course, is is um, all encompassing. I was away in the states uh, watching Arsenal in LA and Charlotte and DC and following the tour, and it's a big thing now. Yeah. Preseason. Um, I mean, how, how is your summer being? Are you refreshed? And what do you think about this idea that sooner or later we're going to have like a twelve-month football calendar with no real respite in the middle? That's kind of what we're at now. Um, mm. I mean, and actually, the break this year was longer than the break last year when the World Cup ended three weeks before. Was it two weeks and six days before the Premier League started? Was it? I think so. Yeah, it was. It was like. Yeah, it was July 15th, maybe, the World Cup final, and in or, in or around then, anyway, and the Premier League was like the first weekend of August. Right. So it was like a three-week break from the final. The final's on Sunday night, and then the Premier League kicks off on Saturday. So this year, it's actually two days longer, I think, because the African Cup uh, of Nations finished on Friday, and three weeks later, on the Saturday, the Premier League starts. Yeah. No, actually, it's a Friday, so it was one day longer. Right. Uh, Sadio Mane ha- having the longest season in the shortest break, 
uh, out of everybody because he's got to play on Friday. Well, they don't. They can't play him. Do well, they? I mean, they might. If they played Salah, um, they played Salah against Manchester City. I suppose right. he had an extra. He had an extra week since he'd stopped playing with Egypt, but he kind of he, he hadn't trained much and he just went straight in and played the whole game. I mean, it, it's not a case anymore that players are going on summer holidays and coming back six pounds or twelve pounds or a couple of stone overweight because they've spent the summer drinking beer yeah. and eating fish and chips you know it, it's not really like that anymore in the sense that the fitness work or they stay I, I'd say their fitness levels are, are pretty consistent year round yeah but did you see Klopp after the community shield was this when he was talking about like we should have a five or six week break and it would make football more interesting yeah and it would make football more interesting for managers sure coaches who are who can you know train their team to play three different systems and don't yeah. seem very excited everyone else is like we'd like to see a game um, so there is there, that has to be balanced and he kind of acknowledged all that but the point that he made about fitness um, it's it's not so much that like Sadio Mane is going to spend his holidays you know getting out of shape and mm. stuffing himself it's, clearly that's not going to happen and it's and most footballers are like that now but the problem has to do with what the body can ultimately take and it's not just that the training the intensity of the training and the matches but it has to do with the fact that football is a contact sport uh, this was the point that he made essentially yeah you can he said you can you can talk to me about sports where they train even way more than footballers like if swimmers for instance train you know five hours a day morning and afternoon yeah like 11 months a year so don't come at me football players moaning about the fact that you have to play football for an hour and a half then have a nice lunch and then go home and play Fortnite, and you only get to you know you only get like june off or a bit of july or whatever and you get paid like a thousand times more than a swimmer the point is that in swimming there's no contact so the injuries are ultimately caused by an accumulation of this. Oh, I mean, fatigue plus contact yeah. equals injury. You know, if your body is tired, if it's, it, you know, all of the things that your body has to do without you having to pay any attention to it just to get you running around without falling over on a football pitch um, requires, you know, the t thousands, tens of thousands, millions of tiny little muscular contra contractions, nerve impulses, and so on and so forth, just so you don't sort of fall over. And that's all fine until you get tired, at which point it's not quite in the same sync as it was. And then suddenly if you add in a contact, some unexpected movement, falling over or being hit by somebody, that's when you get an injury. Yeah. So he's saying like, if he, ultimately this is going to, this is what's kind of um, taking the players out. You know, you can, you can have a sport like basketball where they play like every day it seems you know or like they, they've got like so many games of basketball but they're then off for like uh, you know months and months yeah uh, I don't know exactly how long the NBA season is for instance but they don't expect you to keep doing that throughout the year um, it's intense but then there's a really long break so um, football is just trying to have it both ways um, you know ultimately the way it is now I mean it's interesting that it's the big clubs who are doing most of the moaning about it in terms of um, oh, there's too much stuff on, and, and I guess they're mainly they're mainly critical of the fact that there's international football, that, which they'd rather didn't exist anymore. But is that not a consequence of them being the big clubs and having European football, which of course gives you more games to play? Yeah. Whereas a team below that is, you know, they can play Sunday and then they may not play again until the next Sunday. Whereas you could be playing, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. Yeah, but big clubs. This this system. The more games there are, the better it is for big clubs because they're the ones that have big squads, and 
you know, the the managers are complaining about it, but meantime, the clubs are just kind of pressing on with it regardless. You mm. know? So it's like, yeah, of course we're going to go to China. Of course we're going to go to Malaysia, you know, America, make money. I mean, what else do you think this thing is for? So where do you find the balance then between making the sport of football as good as it can be and like Klopp said you know from for a manager to be able to play two or three different systems Mm. is that not something that fans can can really get into the idea that your team could be better and more interesting or is it just a case of just give me the football give me the football I I want the football I think usually it's give me the football like who cares how many systems they play does anyone care you know do most people no I don't think so you know they'd rather just see the teams playing the whole time but like uh, I, I do think with this sort of pressure that's on with this kind of constant complaining they're going to find some way to it sounds like they want to play fewer games you know that's the, definitely mm. the message you're getting from all these guys and if they, if they feel that way for long enough then that is what is going to happen so the players or the managers no the, the managers and the, the clubs you know I mean okay the clubs again you know if there was some way to get paid the same for playing less they'd all jump well, on wouldn't that. It, wouldn't anybody you know, if you yeah. could get paid the same for doing less work, yeah. everyone I think would do it. But uh, it's it's not so much the demands that come from from fans, but the outside influences on that are, are broadcasters, TV rights, yeah. uh, commercial interests, sponsorship, marketing, people who have attached themselves to football either directly or indirectly. They're the ones I think that are probably driving a lot of the uh, the decisions that are happening. Or yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the way that it will work is, you know, to get paid the same or more for playing fewer games, fine. But the problem with that is that this can't apply to everybody. This can only apply to a small select group. So, you know, they'll eventually sort of um, manage to detach themselves from, uh, you know, the sort of troublesome domestic leagues and former European Super League that kind of thing yeah we'll definitely pare down the domestic leagues a bit like what is there any need for 20 teams to be in the Premier League really you know is there any is there any the Bundesliga seems to get by okay with 34 or the 30 34 games sorry 34 games yeah. obviously uh, 18 18 teams as opposed to 20 you know um, and all you'd have to do is give a couple of smaller clubs the flick and you know this this is the type of thing so so uh it will continue the trend that we've seen all uh, all throughout the last 30 years or so of the bigger clubs kind of diverting more and more of their money into their own mm. and, and, and kind of everybody else withering. And you can, you can actually see that. There's been quite a few articles actually about like Barry Bolton, you know, these clubs yeah. which are um, having massive problems in the context of like insane transfer fees. Like what does Zaha have said, Palace have said, like... Don't don't even think about bidding less than a hundred million for Zaha. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like in in that's happening in one part of the sport, but like just up the road, clubs are they can't down. pay their players and yeah, because yeah. this this sort of inf- the inflation is sort of drives the greed. People get even greedier. How can we get more of this money? You know, and it's kind of a cycle that ultimately squeezes most people out. So eventually, it will just be Real Madrid against Barcelona. Uh, <laughs> just, just Real Madrid against Barcelona. You know, that's kind of, that's what the trend is, is uh, working towards. All right. Premier League is introducing some new rules um, this year, or football is introducing new rules. That's the uh, the kick out rule where the ball doesn't have to go outside the box. Uh, how do you think that's going to impact the way teams play, if at all? 
Um, you've asked me that, and I saw that Michael Cox had written a piece about this, but I didn't read it earlier. Okay, so I <laughs> <laughs> uh, will read it. <laughs> I will read. It. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's. It didn't seem like the most enormous. I mean, what it does is obviously it increases the amount of space at the back that you can use to play out from the back. Yeah. So, in that sense, it should, I imagine, make it easier to play out from the back or at least increase the number of ways you can do it, which, you know, makes it easier, Mm. I guess. Um, How other teams are going to respond to that, I don't know. Um, But playing out from the back, I guess, was happening anyway, even when the ball had to be cleared out of the penalty area. It kind of had become like the dominant way of playing in the Premier League over the last few years, so I can't see that changing, you know, if that's going to make it. Yeah. I mean, the VAR is a big change. I yeah, guess. well, that's what I was going to ask you about next. I mean, yeah. are you looking forward to VAR? I mean... Well, I mean, like, it's basically, it doesn't make any sense on a, on a philosophical level because there's no way of, like, how small does the thing... How how small is too small yeah. for, for them to intervene? Well, I mean, it's all about, isn't it, a uh, clear and obvious error, but, like, how small how, does the error I have mean, to if be? You can, you can see it, like, really clearly on this, like, yeah. you know, um, super high-definition, super slow-motion footage. Like, it's clear and obvious on that. Like, so are you, are you going to say clear and obvious to the naked eye? Clear and obvious first time around when you see it in real time? Mm. You know, should should the referee just get one look at a full speed replay uh, and then have to make his decision based on that? Like, um, I mean, it's it's nonsense. Like, the, po- the point is that there's any, any infraction, however small, must count if seen. Right. And most of them were never seen because... You can't, you know, it's the game's moving too fast. What, 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 yeah, I mean... Someone's in the way, the game's moving too fast. Like, the, the way that you see, how many Champions League matches last season are decided by these nonsense penalties? Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because w- when we saw it in the World Cup, um, I thought, having been quite sceptical about, about VAR, I thought, okay, it seems to be working quite well. There were some iffy decisions, and hmm. the... The issue of handball in football, for example, gets ever more complicated. It just becomes more and more complicated. And, and we saw some penalties given in the World Cup where you went, well, that's not a penalty. Yeah. But in general, I thought it worked quite well. And then last season in the Champions League, there were times when I was sitting there watching a game thinking, this is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Like it could have been, was it the... There was PSG. There was PSG. Man, there, was, man, man, there, was, uh, there was Marquinhos. Uh, there was the Tottenham one. Man, the Man City got a penalty against Danny Rose. Yeah, the, there but was there was the, the, final. the Ajax, Ajax. Ajax against Real Madrid. Was it Ajax against Real Madrid? I can't remember. It was certainly a game against Ajax where there was like... A, a wait of maybe four minutes. Juventus, maybe. Or Juventus could have been Juventus. A yeah, of it, it could have been Juventus. But it, there was a there was a brilliant goal scored, and everyone celebrated and said, "What a brilliant goal that is!" And then they hauled it back to somewhere near the halfway line, mm. and they replayed it over and over again to see had all of the ball gone out oh, for yes. a throw in or whatever. They gave it was. the goal. They gave the goal in the end. It hadn't because no, it, it hadn't gone out. It hadn't. But then you're sitting there at that point going like. Oh, would they actually have ruled it out for this? Would I mean? Would they, yeah? Well, they'd have had to if if if, yeah. if there'd been an angle that could have that could have demonstrated the ball had gone out. Um, then they they would have had to. It would have been ridiculous. I mean, the the biggest example of this type of 
the thing is obviously the, the Sterling goal against Tottenham the, the, mm. the last the, minute Man the, City the one where he thought he'd won it yeah, yeah. And, and you can see this horrible uh, <laughs> I mean it was obviously everybody most people watching it probably were delighted to see this happen um, Man City celebrating uh, Guardiola you know absolutely and then just collapsing to his knees and holding his head yeah. as he realises that this tiny offside which nobody would have ever noticed which Tottenham players clearly didn't yeah. notice you know no one would have seen this I mean okay maybe the linesman would have seen it in this case though in, in a in a when when you've got the VAR the linesman isn't going to flag for that because what if he's wrong and, mm. he, and he kills a move you know he, he's going to wait so maybe the linesman would have seen that offside I don't think he would um, it would have been a goal and that would have been fine you know, there wouldn't have been people going, oh, but... Yeah, like his toe, his toe was offside. <laughs> it, would have, it would have been fine. Like, we, people got annoyed about these decisions anyway, but that's not going to change. This yeah. point, it's not actually going to change anything. And then you'll get these situations where tiny and irrelevant things, which shouldn't, which have no place in the human perception of a football match, are suddenly being used to, like, strike off perfectly good goals. Like, yeah. come on. And, and also, you know, once it's sort of, you can't overlook those things then. You're kind of trapped in this dynamic of, well, everything has to count. Everything has to count or nothing counts. So you're yeah. actually better off with a situation where you had a referee making imperfect decisions. And he always had, uh, he, he basically always could say, well, look, you know, who's going to see that? Goes you, know, like you, that yeah. you could kind of see why certain decisions weren't seen. You could understand what had happened. Whereas now the referee has got no excuse. You still have to decide. I mean, it's still, it's still some of these decisions are subjective, like penalty decisions. Like, is that a foul? Is that enough to give a penalty? Come yeah, on. There's also the issue of like you know? what, what looks, what looks clear cut in, in slow motion mm. in real time may not. And, and similarly, something that happens in real time mm. um, when you when you slow it down, it doesn't look anything like it. I mean, just for the record, I should point out that that Man City decision did at least give Arsenal fans the opportunity to watch Tottenham lose in the final, which was probably the highlight of our season, given the way that it ended up. So yeah, yeah. it's not all bad. But no, I, I do know what you mean. And, and yeah. like, it, are they going to micromanage football games yes. from video? Yeah, that's, that's what will happen. Um, uh, and I mean, okay, you, you can already see. Like, I think Mane in the Champions League final kicked the kicked it deliberately against the hand of um, who was it, uh, Sissoko. Yeah, I think that's what he did. It looks, it looked to me like that was what he was doing, and that's a completely. You know, I can't. I, I'm not saying, oh, what a what a dirty, devious tactic by Mane. It's like, well, I mean, if they're saying these are penalties, then. I'll have me a penalty, please. You mm. give me, I'll have a penalty because he's he's been standing there with his arm in the air, raised like that for ages. I mean, what else does he expect me to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 <laughs> he, he was standing there. He was pointing. I'm not sure at who, but if the hand was there. Man was eventually like, okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go, go for this. <laughs> but like that's something that that easily players can do. And like you'd be crazy not to try to do it. I mean, with the World Cup final, there was a ridiculous handball like that. Um, given for for the penalty that Griezmann scored, wasn't it against was it Mandzukic? I can't remember which yeah, Croatian player. Yeah. But like uh, a nonsense. Um, it was the Perisic, the, I think, yeah. where, the, where the ball. I think maybe it hit his elbow or something. One of those where he's trying to block across, and it, you know, this is ridiculous. That, this, that's, is, this is not a penalty. Nobody saw it. I was I was at it. Nobody nobody saw it. It was just like plays going on. And then suddenly like oh no hang on. And you're like oh what's going on? Are they going to give a penalty here? Come on! Like and then France are ahead and the game is 
Mm. That's, so, so I'm only talking about like the final of the World Cup, the final of the Champions League, you know, key matches all the way up to this. Like the, uh, all of these things have, have been determined by, yeah. by this kind of, by fouls, which previously just wouldn't really have, have been noticed. Handball in particular seems the most susceptible to video uh, evidence because there was the one in the in the Manchester United game, Man United PSG, was it? Mm, Where that, the was guy, the, that was the, the United winner in that Yeah, game. exactly. And, you know, the guy took a shot and the guy jumped and I don't know where you're supposed to put your arms when you jump, yeah. you know. Um, Ball's going miles over, by the way. Yeah. I should, I mean, should that be a thing? Will they have to bring in a like, thing uh, like, like cricket? Like LBW, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, well, this ball is, is like, <laughs> is flying into the second tier of the stand. Does he deserve a penalty because one of the PSG players has touched the ball with his elbow? Yeah. I mean, the ball was in such an unnatural path. I mean, you talk about the unnatural position of the arms, which have to be in a natural position at, literally at all times, unless they've been wrenched out of the socket. Every position, <laughs> every hand position is, an, is a natural position. But how was how was Marquinhos supposed to uh, know that? Was it D- Dallo? I can't remember which United player it was. Is going to try and blast the ball like thirty yards over the bar. How could he possibly have anticipated such an insane shot? Like that was an unnatural shot. And we're going to give him a, a penalty for this? I mean, this is obviously, this is ridiculous what I'm saying. It was just to try to underline the ludicrousness of giving that as a penalty. I mean, okay, you can sometimes give them. Like, I remember I used to get annoyed watching John Terry do this. Like, it, this is kind of the opposite extreme. When Terry would just Schmeichel jump at a, sh- at a shot yeah. and, like, hit it. And then would be like, oh, no, you know, you can't give that. And the ref would be like... I can't, you're right. I, I'm, and I'm not going to. You know, that ball was traveling. You know, how could you know the ball was going to hit? And he was, he was kind of gaming the system in the opposite direction. Yeah. But now, like, it's, it's, you know, it just seems like there's too many of these penalty generators floating around in the penalty area at any given time. You just need to hit someone's arm. And then it's like, come on. So given that, given the likelihood of an increased amount of penalties being awarded in the Premier League next season, teams with... Good penalty takers. Good, good penalty takers. Uh, uh, you good know, penalty goalkeepers. Yeah, well, uh, but an Alan Shearer or a Matt Letizia or whatever mm. uh, have a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that seems to. I mean, it was definitely the trend in the World Cup. There was way more penalties in the World Cup. I can't remember the exact figures now. Yeah. But there was like way more than any previous World Cup, and obviously there's going to be when you've got a whole new super detection system for fouls and okay maybe then it's going to have knock-on effects in terms of you can see the players beginning to adapt the way they defend for instance the Origi goal in the Champions League final where Toby Alderweireld um, would usually put in a much more wholehearted block than he tried but he's holding his hands behind his back in an effort to demonstrate his innocence in case of any other in case, yeah, in case the ball gets booted yeah. into his hand yeah, yeah and he, he doesn't really throw himself into this block as he may maybe would have done the ball just kind of goes under his foot and into the corner yeah like so that's going to happen and, and at set pieces um, you know when England were doing so well in the World Cup a lot of it had to do with their ability to score from set pieces which I think also had to do with the inability of anyone to how do we how do we actually defend this now that all of the things we used to do are have are now ruled illegal? You can't get away with, a, how, with how, pulling someone's shirt. Yeah, how are they going to manage that? I mean, it is. That's why. That's why Harry Maguire is maybe turned out to be a lot worse than more than eighty million. Maybe he will be the first twenty goal a season Maguire since Van Persie. <laughs> you know, because I mean, okay, he's he's pretty good at heading in corner kicks, and now it turns out nobody can. 
obstruct him in any way. So what's, mm. what's to stop this guy busting the net? Yeah, well, how are they going to find out who's doing the holding or who's holding who first or who's holding who more? It's, uh, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting. So, um... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Let's talk a, a bit about the teams, and normally we sort of focus on the the top six, and uh, we'll start with what might be the title race. I guess again is Manchester City against Liverpool would be the two favourites, I suppose. Um, do you see Liverpool pushing City as close again? Do you see City being as good as they were? Um, yeah. I mean, are we going to have a title race? Um, well, you know, we only kind of we only had one last year. It was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a mirage in one way, like in the sense that you know, if you look at all the expected goals and whatnot, mm. um, I think I was reading some analysis that said Liverpool should have finished with eighty three points and they got ninety seven, um, based on you know. Uh, the goals they should have scored they, they obviously scored you scored I mean it's, it's, it's always a difficult to know with that metric like uh, you, you know low expected goals you shouldn't have scored that but like if you've got brilliant players who can do crazy things then like that's that's the point of having those players they can do this you know like say the Salah goal against Chelsea do you remember the, yeah. the the one from miles out from a ridiculous sort of you, you never see that goal scored so I don't know what the XG was in it like point one, point, point zero, point zero, 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 zero. you know yeah. but like okay certain players can do these things it's, it's, it wasn't it was a surprising goal but it wasn't like I, I can't believe that my eyes have literally fallen out of my head how did he you know it wasn't maybe as as unlikely as the percentage yeah was, I mean does XG uh, need like a, a the quality of the player added into the yeah, chance. Well, like, I mean, what's a, an XG for Messi versus an XG for exactly. Nicholas Bentner or whatever? Yeah, so his, so he's, like, outperforming it the whole time, and it's because he's amazing. Mm. Um, but usually when people are outperforming it, it's because they're lucky. You know what I mean? It's like this, 
this is I suppose when you sustain it over a whole career then you can say okay this guy is actually really good whereas usually if if it's like oh someone's way out performing your XG then it's like well be let the buyer beware because you know a lot of <laughs> things a lot of things have have fallen right for this player and uh, you know sooner or later you know gravity always wins and he's going to come back down and regress to the mean and you know you find that you've paid like you're Gareth Southgate and you've just signed Afonso Alves for like 8 million for Middlesbrough or whatever. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he scored like 600 goals for his Dutch team. Oh, the Matthias Kesman type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, uh, no, it wasn't actually as good as we thought. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, to get back to the point of Liverpool, I do think they, they, pref- they it's hard to see them playing better. Whereas yeah. with City, I can immediately see how they play better just by the return of Kevin De Bruyne into the team. Yeah. And they've made a you know very good signing as well in Rodri. Yeah, although Rodri can only really play at the expense of Fernandinho, who's really good for them last mm. season. You know, like that that was a strong position for them. But I think De Bruyne is a, would improve would improve any team in, in the league. Certainly would improve City in or, or I mean when he plays them. I think yeah. he's their best player. I mean, I don't know if that's just something about the style of of him as a player that that appeals to me. Like I just like the way he plays. You know, you could. You know, David Silva say I'm not such a huge fan of, but like you have people, <laughs> you have people would say, oh, he's he's incredible. Maybe it's just maybe those kind of fizzed, uh, fizz, I'm just waving my hands around here, but those it, with the way that Kevin De whips in a low cross, something about that, I'm just like, yeah, this is what it's all about. Whereas David Silva's like flitting, you know, between the lines and you yeah. know shadow play and all this kind of stuff I'm just like making I don't him, understand make, what's he doing making him of course the greatest <laughs> foreign player ever to play in the Premier League I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it I don't, I, not for me you know that's but like I, I, so so what I'm saying is they've got him to come back in he is going to be you know if he can stay fit this time how can they not be better with with a fully fit mm. and with Liverpool you don't really see that okay they've got like Oxford Chamberlain missed the whole season but like he's not in that class like he's he was good for them when, when they the season that he did play but he's not gonna he, I he's find not, it hard to imagine winning player of the year which of course Kevin De Bruyne didn't manage to do but only because the guy who beat him broke the Premier League goal scoring record you know what I mean I, mm-hmm. I think Chamberlain is quite Oxford Chamberlain is quite at that level they've got Naby Keita who didn't didn't do anything last season effectively until the last couple of months yeah. kept getting injured he's the he's the player that they need to see improvement from if they want to they need everyone else to keep doing what they're doing and they need him to start playing like a 56 million pound signing or at least yeah. two two years ago when they made that deal when it was still a lot of money yeah um, so you're you're looking at the city machine just crushing it again um, I think so but you know, it's it's hard to like with city the, the season last season was Almost perfect, apart from like losing three matches in four. Wasn't that what the what yeah, they did? Yeah, it was around January, or wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. Liverpool at one point could have gone ten points clear. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, they could have so, gone ten points clear. They were seven points clear with an extra game played when they played City. Yeah, in the, was it an extra game played? Or was I it can't remember. Seven? City City pulled it back to four by beating them. That was Liverpool's only defeat, but that was enough. So this is what this is what it's like with City. Like I think Klopp has been has been quite uh, cranky in his uh, public appearances, press conferences and stuff over the last few weeks. Mainly because he's, he's usually talking after his team has lost because they've been losing other preseason games. And, you know, he's he's kind of annoyed about, oh, I don't have... My players are coming back late. And this, he's been he's, he's been doing all this complaining about all the extra football they're, they're playing. Yeah. But 
underlying that is the fact that he knows, like, he cannot afford to start slowly. You know, they 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 lost it last season after getting 97 points. They won, what, their first five or six games in a row, barely conceded a goal, I think, for the first few weeks of the season. And you need to do that to have any chance. If you don't, if you don't do that, forget it. So you could, you're in a situation where the season, the league season, it's like, well, we're concentrating on the Champions League now in mid-September. That's what Man City can do. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone else can really do that. With City, you just... Everybody else basically has to hope that what Guardiola has said about being a manager for a long time at one club is true. When Guardiola's at Barcelona, he's like, you know, he left. Remember Alex Ferguson? I think Guillaume Balaguer did a book about Guardiola where he got Alex Ferguson to do the foreword. And Ferguson wrote in that, I couldn't understand what this guy was doing. Like, why would you walk away from Barcelona? I thought it was crazy. Like he, I think he said he spoke to Guardiola. He said, what are you doing? Don't, you don't leave a job like this. You will never have a job as good as this again. You will never have a squad of players like you have at Barcelona again in your career. And I just don't understand why anybody would, in this perfect situation, okay, not perfect, there's things that you don't like, there's directors you don't get on with, the, the media are pain in the ass. But like, that's the job. And you should stick with this. Guardiola's like, no, they don't listen to me anymore. They stop listening. You know, I, I, you're only going to listen to any coach for a certain amount of time. But is is that, I mean, I know we've talked about this before. I'm not sure it's necessarily true of every coach. It might be true of a coach like Guardiola. Guardiola. I didn't, maniac. Yeah, I didn't watch the Amazon thing, but I watched some clips from it, and it's like, fuck me. It's full on. Like, like <clears throat> He's a headbanger. He, he, he <laughs> is definitely uh, an amazing football coach, but not somebody that you would want to spend every day of your life working Well, there with. was a story, you know, um, you'd seen that story uh, that one of the coaches, one of the Man City coaches was told he, he, he was out of shape. <laughs> the coach's head. <laughs> yeah, like if he, if he wanted to go on the tour, like he was going to have to lose some weight because it was sort of demoralizing to see, for the players to see this. A slightly, <laughs> to, a slightly to, chubby man. To see this whale. <laughs> see this whale looking at him from this. It's like, oh, I can't believe this guy's supposed to be an example. I can't believe it. Oh, Guardiola is so forward thinking. How could he be body shaming or fat well, shaming well, a guy like well, that? Guardiola himself is in great shape, you know, <laughs> El Flaco or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, that's just the. It's just a river. I, I I don't know. It's just a river. But it's not. It's it's believable. It yeah. is. It's believable that he that he would do that. It's like these are the standards, guys. You know, guys. It's, guys. it's all about. I'm telling you, guys. I mean, it's a bit like Arsene Wenger used to be like that in terms of. Yes, I'm a 68 year old man who, for some reason, inflicts a footballer's diet on myself. <laughs> you know, you know, because I believe it is important to be a, um, a, a an example to the players. You know, sure. Um, so he takes that to extremes. I mean, you know, is it too much? I get the impression that the city players are mostly quite enjoying it you know I don't look mm. at them like obviously Sané is the kind of exception we'll wait and see if he's still at Man City this season there's something wrong obviously with between him and Guardiola it's not really connecting because mm. maybe and maybe it's maybe it's something that happens more with the more exceptionally talented players which Sané is I guess in the sense that both because Guardiola's way of looking at the game is so collective and so tactical that like it kind of is a bit I, you can imagine someone super talented I, somebody like Ibrahimovic or actually even Messi towards the end at Barcelona mm. um, beginning to think this guy like 
why doesn't he just let me do what I do? I'm the footballer. Let me play the football and stop telling me what I've got to do the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for a really talented player who maybe still kind of thinks of the football field as a place where I can kind of enjoy myself and or, or, to, or express uh, as Wenger always used to say you know a place for <coughs> players to, to express themselves yeah that, that they might start to find this a bit overbearing yeah it, it has to do maybe with their own kind of personal humility as well like you know it, how, how long can you sort of keep respecting Guardiola as somebody who has new things to tell you about the game? It seems to me that most of them are still in that zone. Mm. You know, like players like Sterling. I guess it has to do as well with, like, look at how the the sort of progress Sterling is making season after season. Like, for Man City, anyway, he's absolutely lethal now. Like, he's he's phenomenal now. And he he's always been a good player, but, like, he's just become so focused and so effective so when you when you're seeing those types of results in your own game, when you can see I'm like he, he so he was the other front runner for player of the year last season. When you see that happening, it's like well this is working, you know. Mm. Um, and as long as you don't start to think this is working because of me, I'm the great one here. It's all about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you can you can go well this is working because I'm working with Pep, working with these teammates. They make me better. He makes me better. It's all a virtuous circle. That's. You know, then then you can keep it going for a while, but you know, if you get to the point where you're like, I wish this guy would just lay off. I mean, there's a story I think in the Balgay book about how Messi, like one of the moments when Guardiola realised, oh, I've got some problems here at Barcelona, was when Messi stood up and defiantly walked over to the Coke machine, like got himself a Coke and then drank it like making, <laughs> sort of I don't know if he's like making eye contact with Guardiola the whole time as he drank this like full fat coke looking at him like through, like the guy in the Diet Coke hat what you gonna do about yeah. it Pep yeah. what you gonna do about it so what I like coke I'm gonna have a I'm the best player in the world I'm gonna have a coke and Guardiola's like he knows I don't want him to do that and yet here he is you know if they're not if they're not listening I'm, I'd better move on you know I can educate some other footballers this guy, these guys think they know it all you right. know what I mean well so, but, but at the moment it's, it, it doesn't look like City are, are in a rebellious class who've, who've lost respect from the teacher right? we'll, okay, we'll, we'll wait and see if Raheem Sterling comes in with an iron brew one day and we'll know that Guardiola's time at City is up yeah. Manchester United have spent some money. Obviously, they brought in Aaron Wan Bissaka from Crystal Palace. Um, the guy from Swansea is now Daniel James. Daniel James. Daniel James, who's very, very fast, apparently. Mm. Um, Harry Maguire is the most expensive defender of all time, which is an amazing thing to me. Um, uh, how do you view what's going on there? Because they still have some problems. Obviously, there's the Lukaku issue is uh, rumbling on. They've mm. got Alexis Sanchez, who they w- would like to get rid of, I'm sure. But because they're paying him, you know, the guts of half a million pounds a week, yeah. or whatever it is, it becomes very difficult to find a destination for a player like that. Um, and Solskjaer uh, had that amazing run, which got him the job, but... You know, I don't follow Manchester United Twitter by any means, but mm. from time to time, stuff gets uh, tweeted into my timeline, and it strikes me that perhaps he's not the most um, all-round choice for for many of their fans. That they they, they reckon mm. he's not quite the guy. So, how do you view the season ahead for United? Well, obviously, I think there's all there's a lot of latent um, hostility, which will absolutely explode at the first sign of things going wrong. You know, you could see this at the end of the season when Paul Pogba was being abused by these 
Oh, know, yeah, yeah, I remember that like, clip, yeah. Fans, like, oh, why don't you put it on Instagram? Like this rage, like, yeah. you know, this like rage. And it's, <clears throat> it's clearly about more than just, mm. probably you haven't played very well for us in the last few weeks, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. There was a bit more to it than that. There was some, there was some bigger hostility being tapped into there, like in terms of, like what Pogba represents, you know, sort of culturally, like the, these Man United fans. Are like, ah. Now, I'm not saying that's all Man United fans, but you could see them. I don't try. I mean, the video is there. You could yeah. see Pogba was kind of shouting back at them, like, what are you talking about? You know, there's a very angry group of people there. <laughs> and once things start to go wrong, I noticed, for instance, you say you don't uh, follow United. I noticed yesterday, or was it? No, it was actually today. Fellaini was trending on Twitter in Ireland. Fellaini, right? Why is Fellaini trending? He's been in China for ages. What's he doing? Has he scored an amazing goal? Has he suffered a horror injury? What has happened? So I checked for Fellaini, and it appeared that Fellaini was trending in Ireland purely because of angry Man United fans writing... We haven't replaced Herrera or Fellaini. Um, this is an absolute <laughs> joke. How can we be? How can we be here just before the transfer window closes? Oh, we haven't. And you know. And then they were listing out like, who have we got? Matic, uh, Pogba uh, to, to play central midfield. Yeah. This is. Matic, Pogba, Pereira, McTominay, and who's the other one? Oh God, there's one other. I can't remember. Oh Jesus. Get them. Get get up the squad there. Man United. <laughs> get up the squad. There was basically five, five. This is going to be embarrassing when we. That's fine. Really it's obvious, okay. Really obvious Man United player. But okay, so five players for one matter. Is would does one matter count as a midfielder? I don't know. I don't know uh, if he's been counted. Fred. Fred, of course. That was Fred. The one. How could we forget? How could Fred? we forget? Okay, <laughs> Fred. Fred. To be fair. Sorry, Fred. He showed some. He showed some. Good things and some bad things last season. You know, everybody needs a little bit of time to adapt. I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be like Fred's. Fred's a joke. You know, get out of here, Fred. I wouldn't be saying that just yet. I think that he does have some things going for him. But okay, so that's the five mm. for central midfield. And okay, and you've lost the thing. You know, so there's nobody new there, and they've lost Herrera, who was a pretty solid player for them, I think. And, and to be honest, I was a bit surprised they let him go. I guess it had to do with a combination of the money he was looking for and the age that he was, which is to say 30. He's looking for, you know, a, a, a contract to rival whatever PSG were offering, which yeah. I'm sure was, was a lot with him coming off a free transfer to them. But, you know, he was a good player. He'd been there for, uh, what, five years, um, had played in, you know, I mean, I can't say it's been a good spell for Man United. It's not like he's been absolutely amazing. But I do think he was... He'd be a player I would have put in my first 11 for them. Um, can do quite a lot of things well. He's a good player to have in the squad. He's gone. Fellaini's gone. Fellaini was obviously a, a kind of a hate figure and a joke figure and a cult figure. All these things at once. But, like, I think he, he should have gone years ago. There's no point, really, in, in having a midfielder like this. Obviously, he, he scored some goals from headers and stuff. They got Harry Maguire now, you know. Yeah. They can put him up front in the Fellaini situation if if, if it's like, oh, if only we had Fellaini to come on and batter them, you know. Or, mm, they, plan they, B. Yeah, they've got a plan B in, in old Maguire. But, like, how can they have done this again, you know? We're, we're still waiting. This is the transfer window still has about 24 hours to go. As, yeah, as we're we recording on Wednesday, yeah. So maybe there's going to be someone coming in, but this is, this is cutting a bit fine. How could you, ha- having had a, a poor season where you know you've got a lot of ground to make up and you've got a new manager who you want to support, supposedly, and all this kind of stuff, and, you, and midfield has been a problem for you all 
this bad season and now you've lost two of your midfielders I mean Fellaini went in Fellaini went in January or February right I mean, Herrera yeah. just at the end of the season although he, he didn't actually play much for the, for the last couple of months but this has been an obvious issue and they haven't done anything about it so mm. again you're just kind of holding your head going how is this possible like you know how can they when you see that it, you don't have a lot of confidence that that uh, the people making the, the decisions of the club are no capable of making good decisions I mean there has been like a, obviously a bit of a change in terms of the players that they've gone for uh, you know Daniel James is like a you know 21 year old with potential Wan-Bissaka is kind of the same really mm. even though his fee was pretty big um, and you know, so so this, and they've ended up having to pay pretty much what Leicester originally asked for for Harry Maguire. Which again, you're kind of like, maybe they should have just done that. He could have played pre-season; it would have made a big difference, would have made things a lot easier for him. Hmm. Um, whatever about that, uh, and the, and the, and then not signing Dybala. You know how much that was Dybala saying, oh, I'm not sure I really want to join these guys, but like if they will pay me half a million a week, then sure. Yeah, will they? Oh no, it turns out that's too much for them. Okay, well then, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Um, but you know, the, so there's, there isn't like a, a Sanchez. Like it's not. It's not, I mean, I, I mentioned Sanchez, which I, I, I always feel is a little bit unfair to them because I I certainly didn't think when Sanchez joined them that it was going to be as big of a disaster as it's turned out to be. No, you know? neither did I. You know, when 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 it went through, we could see signs at Arsenal that. Maybe there was a, a decline going on, but then this part of you going, is it because he just doesn't want to be at Arsenal anymore? Mm. He was fucked off the way that that previous summer went, where he thought he was going to go to Man City, and then it was you know taken away right at the last minute. Is are his performances a, a measure of his his um, mind, or mm. what do you call it? His uh, state of mind, rather. Mm. You know, he's disappointed. He doesn't want to be here. You know, it's hard to motivate himself. But yeah, I mean, he's gone right off. It's, it is, I think, in 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 both ways with Mkhitaryan coming to Arsenal. I think it's the worst swap deal yeah. in football history. Yeah, Arsenal right. came out a better though, right? And then, although, Slightly, although then again, not much. Because Sanchez would have left on free, and then that would have been it. Yeah, and we wouldn't have a two hundred grand a week lightweight. Yeah, you think um, in, in Mkhitaryan, who just hasn't provided any consistency at all. I think they'd be quite happy to move Mkhitaryan on if there were anyone out there who's going to take on that kind of wage packet. But the clubs who can do that are very, yeah. very few and far between. Yeah, and you, you do see a few of these players. You know, obviously Ozil, um, Sanchez, uh, Coutinho, um, who are kind of marooned, mm. uh, marooned on massive wages and. Uh, okay, they're, you know, maybe but not, maybe in twenty four hours, the position of one or other of these players will have changed. But it's very, it's difficult for the clubs who sign them to offload them. And United are obviously very wary of getting into that situation again. Uh, you know, so they've gone with like players who aren't going to do that. But you know, play, it's it's you know, as opposed to previously, oh, Angel Di Maria, you know, he played for Real Madrid, you know, that's pretty sexy. Yeah, let's get in uh, Sanchez. You know, he's sort of top. Uh, whereas now they're kind of like, okay, who might actually be a good player for us for several years? You know, and that's kind of, there's a bit more of that sort of thinking, which I think is good for them. But at the same time, it's like, who forgot to sign an extra midfielder? Five players for three positions is not really enough, especially when two of them in Pereira and um, uh, Fred? <laughs> no, <laughs> forgot McTominay. Fred <laughs> Pereira and McTominay are like young players. 
like you know any very inexperienced players who could turn out to be very good you know but like you, mm. you can't expect them to be good every week um Pogba has openly said I do not want to be here <laughs> like he's openly <laughs> said he's openly said I fancy a new challenge like it couldn't have been any clearer about yeah. it and it's not like he's got you know it, it's not like he's shown previously that he's the sort of player who denied his preferred option will do say what Luis Suarez did when he couldn't join Arsenal in 2013 and basically play so hard the following season there was absolutely no chance he was going to ever have to play another season for Liverpool <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's absolutely determined that there is no way I'm still going to be here in 12 months I'm going to go out there and yeah. be the man of the match in every game yeah. so I, somebody's going to fucking buy me yeah well like it, it, it would be great for Man United if Pogba was to do that but what seems more likely at the moment is kind of inconsistency some days he's good some days he's not he sort of loses interest for periods of the season yeah. it's 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 very easy for him I think to sort of throw up his hands and go well what the fuck do you expect me to do look what, look what I'm surrounded by here Fred what's where, what's the plan where, 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 what's the progress like what am I supposed to do here you expect me to run this whole thing myself like it's kind of easy for him to do that yeah they don't they give him too many too many outs and then you've got the fact that they can still sell him between you know the transfer deadline and the and the end of yeah I mean he could, he could he could he could kick up you know he could but like the thing is they can't sell him if they don't bring in somebody else they, they can't they'd be down to like four players from three positions yeah, yeah, yeah. and one of them is Matic two of them are like young players and then you've got Fred and that's the midfield Come oh on. come on! Yeah, it's, come on! Make it happen. That's clearly not. It's clearly not going to work. Make you can only imagine they have to. They have to bring somebody in. We'll know better in twenty four hours. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of issues there, which I don't think Harry Maguire is necessarily going to solve all by himself. No, I don't think so. Uh, Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Yeah, I quite like Frank Lampard in a weird way. I. You know, obviously, uh, I've never been a fan of him, uh, given <laughs> his, given where he plays um, and everything else. But I, I don't think he's the worst. Yeah, I mean, Maybe he, he, he amuses me know. greatly. I enjoy, I enjoy watching him because he's kind of actually quite combustible for a guy who's, who sort of. Yeah. Um, I think he kind of he sort of projects a certain like a uh, English unflappability. Yeah, you know when when people used to think English people were unflappable, like uh, when Lampard was was a player. Uh, things have changed, obviously, since his retirement. Things have <laughs> oh, these long held stereotypes are beginning to change. Uh, but Lampard's got that kind of, you know, uh, don't worry, I've got this type of uh, mm. RAF Battle of Britain uh, mentality. That's what he tries to project. But actually, he's incredibly sensitive to insult and always reacts to any provocation. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a great mix. Because you got like, you know, for a lot, a lot of the time, he's sort of stiff upper lip and like, you know, this sort of... And then suddenly he's just absolutely... Well, but the, the lead stuff from last year. Oh, pretty. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Amazing. And, and like, we haven't heard the last of that song. Like, we're going to be hearing a lot. I, I mean, the Leeds fans, it only made sense in the context of Leeds having beaten Derby and like home and away or whatever but I think the lyrics can be just ignored or whatever because the yeah. important lyric is to stop crying Frank Lampard lyric and we will be hearing that I'm sure quite a lot but like you know I think it's I think it's a really interesting situation for Chelsea to be in now because obviously they've got this transfer ban so things are, that's not good uh, and they've lost Hazard and that's not good no but they have got they did bring in Pulisic they did the deal for Pulisic in, in January and they've mm. made Kovacic 
permanent. But that's it. I mean, like he is going to have to delve into the 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 youth system and the five hundred young players that they've got at the club. Yeah, it's long overdue. Like I mean, again, like Chelsea's youth system is a bit weird because it turns out they kind of spotted or have been running it this way. Anyway, this is quite a good way for us to make money. You know, mm-hmm. this is we can we can kind of we're like a little um, you know bank of players, and we buy low and sell high, and you know it's actually actually you can make a lot of money doing this. And if you if you've got the capital to start it off in the in the first place, mm. which obviously wasn't a problem for Chelsea back in the day, um, uh, and that's kind of been how they've used it because they've they've appointed managers who don't use the players, um, who don't use the players coming out of there, and. So it's it's been a bit of a graveyard, obviously. For there's lots of players who've left and kind of gone on to better things elsewhere, I guess. But like until recently, with like Loftus Cheek and Hudson Odoi, both of whom have now got long term injuries. Although mm. apparently Hudson Odoi, I mean, he snapped his Achilles. I heard, but but maybe back as soon as September, which sounds kind of crazy. I I mean, I imagine he, he's not going to be a factor too much in the first half of the season. Yeah, but like. It's a it's it's past time that they started trying to trying to do this at Chelsea, like um, you know obviously John Terry kind of arrived into their team that way and Lampard was a bit different but he did join them very young um, when he would have been twenty two I think when he joined Chelsea can't remember and like they were they were like the the kind of foundation of the team for 10 years maybe maybe you know Terry might maybe stay too long or whatever but it at least gave you something to slot other pieces around mm. and they haven't sort of had that I think for a while now you know in the sense of this guy is, is going to want to stay here his whole career you know what I mean like, yeah 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 yeah. you know I don't know if they, they would even have that with the youth players but like they should they should have been trying to develop their own players long before this and with Lampard coming in and the transfer ban that buys him a lot of leeway I think and he can he can do this he can see if you know he can try a few things yeah it certainly gives him time and I think his reputation or his his status with Chelsea fans as well Mm. obviously gives him a bit more time than somebody like Sarri who at the end of the day got them into the Champions League yeah. won a European trophy and everyone hated him yeah um, it's Chelsea like you know yeah of the course the same with Benitez you know <clears throat> Benitez they just hated Benitez it's just like no not this guy and he's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that he's doing really well <laughs> the, the team seems to be playing well and we just don't want him just get rid of him yeah and, I, and I, that seemed to happen at quite an early point with Sarri I mean Sarri didn't really help himself with the whole Hudson and Doy stuff <clears throat> um mm. You know, like that kind of Italian attitude to young players, where you're like, no, we don't. He he could have been more diplomatic. He could have, like, Lampard is not going to have that problem, right? Lampard is, is the opposite. He's like an absolute legend for Chelsea. He knows exactly how things, how to say things, what kind of, what's going to go down well, what's not going to go down so well. Yeah. What what all the questions that are coming at him in a press conference, what they really about. Yeah, and it's he going to take a lot for the fans to turn on him, even if results uh, or whatever don't go well. I mean, you would, well, you would think it would take, there might be an I mean, element look at of Sol, Look at Solskjaer, you know what I mean? Like, uh, Lampard is a bigger Chelsea legend than Solskjaer. Sure. Than but, you know, Solskjaer is, a, is a very much a beloved player of days gone by. Mm. I mean, 
you know, he could be out there pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, uh, with, with people going, look, I love you as a player, Ollie, but this just isn't good enough. So it could happen with Lampard, but I do think this, the circumstances in which he's taken over are, are actually all really good because they're bad. Like, he, he comes in at a club where they've just lost their best player, they're not allowed to sign players, um, they're probably feeling a bit insecure. This is all good for the new manager. Yeah, it's like, like it's, it's like taking over in government after the last government has caused a financial crash because you can just yeah. blame everything on completely like on it, them. So so it gives him it gives him that sort of it, it means the expectations are much lower than they otherwise would have been than they usually are at Chelsea, mm. and I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it works out. I mean, what what is not really clear yet with Lampard is how good is he as a manager? Yeah, you know, like we don't really know, like. With Derby, they were quite good. They, they had some great results last season. They knocked Man United out of the, the League Cup. Um, you know, they... They seem to play decent football. Yeah, sometimes, but not always. You know what I mean? They, they kind of they finished sixth. Like, they managed to beat Leeds in a kind of an insane game. But, like, I'm not sure how much influence Frank Lampard had over it. In fact, I think he... I think one of the again my memories are so fuzzy now. There's so many games, but his, his the Derby's approach in the first game I think was really criticised. You know, he kind of got it wrong or picked the wrong team from the outset, and of course the substitute does the damage or whatever. But like, why wasn't he playing? You know, mm. it, was, it wasn't as though wow, Lampard's really <clears throat> he's he's completely blown everyone away. Like nobody was talking about Derby. They, in fact, lots of people were. Like that's why Lampard went there. You know, mm. They're kind of a club that was uh, you know had had deeper pockets than some of the other championship clubs so like <clears throat> that that remains to be seen but I do think it's it's. A, I think he's well placed to capitalise on a promising situation mm. more promising than that's than has greeted any Chelsea manager in recent years they have had stronger teams in that time um, I don't think they're going to win the league obviously but uh it's a good situation for him to take over Chelsea. Mm. So let's talk Arsenal. And um, the end of last season was was very disappointing. Obviously, not finishing in the top four when they should have, and the uh, the defeat in the the Europa League final to Chelsea, which can happen in a final. I think the bigger issue was the fact that the team uh, had a terrible run of results at the business end of the season and finished, I think, a point off um, the top four. Considering the gap. The previous season was sort of 13 points between Arsenal and the top four. There was, if you want to step back and look at it slightly objectively, an improvement, um, which I think is maybe looking for a silver lining that isn't quite there. But in terms of the attack and in terms of midfield, Arsenal look in in pretty good shape. Mm. Um, Signing Nicola Pepe. Mm. That was a surprise looks to good. me. Yeah, he looks. We had a great season at Lille, and definitely a surprise. Um, of course, penalties. Of course. Yeah, of course. In this new VAR Premier League, it could be very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, midfield. There's some. Uh, there's some talent in there. I think with Torreira and Genduzzi and Ceballos in from Real Madrid. Torreira is sticking around. Torreira is sticking around. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think wow. that was just. The last of the Sven signings. Yeah, maybe so. Um, uh, I, they like him, though. So, you know, he, he's he's in his second season in England, so realistically should be a bit better. Gendouzi as well should be better. Yeah. I thought Gendouzi was good last season. Mm. 
you know i mean he's 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 got a lot going for him he does he's got a bit to learn still i think about how uh the premier league works he does does this thing where he goes over a bit too often looking for the free kick you know under pressure from behind and you don't always get that in the premier league and that's that's something he's got to learn and there's some you know some really good young talent at arsenal now joe willock coming through who's been brilliant all summer amazing mm. um reese nelson saka eddie and Kedia, who might go out on loan um, again, there's still time, but but defensively, you talked about Manchester United yeah. not buying the players that they need in midfield. Arsenal defensively are in a mess. Well, I have no idea what they what they think they're doing. It's I, crazy. I don't know what they think they're doing either. I mean, Lauren Koscielny, the Koscielny situation. Uh, at the time of recording, uh, he was due to speak to the French press at some point this afternoon yeah. to talk a bit more about his departure. But what, what was clear from what he said and um, after he left was that he's been in discussions with the club for months about his desire to leave. Mm. Um, and normally when a player is adamant that they want to leave the club, it is the right thing to do just generally to make that happen mm. I'm not saying Arsenal should have let him go for free but an acknowledgement that right okay this guy doesn't want to be here anymore yeah. that's never a good place to be for a footballer so you try and make it happen and it's you know two days before the window closes mm. he's gone to Bordeaux in, in really contentious style um, yeah. and Holding is still coming back from injury Bellerin is still coming back from injury Mustafi is a problem that they can't seem to fix mm. Callum Chambers I don't know I mean he yeah. could be better than I hope he's going to be and I hope he is um, <laughs> yeah. he could be better than you hope but yeah he could be you don't even dare to hope it's, that it's be just difficult because yeah, it's difficult because you know he played all last season for Fulham in midfield yeah. I thought he did okay for us at the end of the previous season um, he, he had some good moments but there, there are things about his game that don't seem to be improving you've got Socrates who's who's a yellow card magnet and is mm. going to miss some games and, and, and what have you. So uh, they've been trying to buy a left back all summer and they haven't managed to get that over the line. Yeah. So for a, for a team whose main problem was its defense, to have done nothing with the defense but make it worse yes. isn't good strategy at this moment in time, bearing in mind something could happen between now and five o'clock tomorrow. Well, which, Leahy just pulls them over to see if yeah. do and suddenly... Yeah. Um, you know, I, f I think it's really interesting. Like, I'll tell something that happened last season um, was, remember when Arsenal played Liverpool in the around about Christmas and they went to Anfield and lost 5-1? Yeah. 5-1. 5-1. They scored the first goal and then they conceded like a bunch of goals mm -hmm. in about three minutes. And, and and there was some ridiculous goals as well. Like the ball sort of loosely booted into the area and Firmino's tapping it in. And then Firmino just sort of walks through. Well, that was that was the one that sticks in my mind. There's one where yeah. it could have been Firmino where he just ran straight and like the two Arsenal defenders, Mustafi in particular, just sort of yeah. looked at him and fell over fell, with they, panic. They sort of fell over each yeah. side and, and was it Torreira running in at the end and sort of sprawled on the ground like, yeah. oh, what is going on okay before that game a, a friend of mine had uh, sent me some like whatsapp messages saying look uh, apparently Mustafi isn't fully fit to play today but he's going to play because um, Emery doesn't rate any of the other defenders essentially uh, but watch you watch Mustafi come off early in this game and if I'm not mistaken he didn't reappear for the second half 
Well, I'll have to have a look at that. It I was think. like, okay, that's sort of interesting because, like, the fact he was like, watch, watch him come off early. Uh, maybe he even came off during the first half. I'm pretty sure he was gone by halftime. Now I thought that was interesting because it was like, okay, this this information is true. Um, whether what, 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 what sort of position is your friend in to uh, be uh, aware of how Emery uh, rated uh, fake the news, defenders? Pur- purveyor of fake news. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, so I was like, all right, that that's interesting. Now, obviously, the the bit the bit that is kind of halftime, halftime, yeah, halftime. Now, the bit that looks. Like, okay, that's true. Now, bearing in mind, this was before the match, this message comes through. So it's like, okay, let's see what happens. So he does go off. It's like, right, okay. So the second bit looks like the second bit is true. You know, he, you know, he's maybe had some pre-existing niggle before the game. He's a bit reluctant about it. He's like, oh. The, 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 the question, though, is, <laughs> did, was the first bit true? The Emery wants him to play because, like, he's like, Shkodron, I need you. You know, you're my rock. Well, that's terrifying. Well, that's, that is the, that's, okay, you can't tell. You can only, uh, sort of guess but like if that was the case right okay obviously that's I guess that's changed now maybe mm. I, I hope it's changed I hope it's changed well it, it it appears to be as it stands based on the last game that we played against Barcelona on Sunday which is kind of our last preseason game that Chambers and Socrates is his first choice pairing of the three central defenders he has available to mm. him right now mm. with Mustafi the third choice but just by default just by being there I think it is a case that if they could get anyone to take him they would have which uh, is complicated of course by the fact that Koscielny is gone who I think they were planning on on yeah. keeping um, bringing maybe somebody else in yeah. and then you could sell Mustafi but but as it stands I, I don't think Arsenal can sell Mustafi simply because they don't have enough players in that position and as yeah. as poor as I think Mustafi is and as, as badly as I want us to move on from him with 24 hours left in the window I'm not sure what we can do in the market that would allow us yeah. to sell Mustafi well which is you know it's, it's a, losing Koscielny is worse than it seems I think because Koscielny is okay he, he had the it was an Achilles injury yeah and that's a bad one, uh, particularly at his late stage of the career. And there's reasons there to doubt, you know, can he still play in the Premier League at his age with with this injury? Okay, maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. But the thing is that he had been, if I'm not mistaken, he's the longest serving player at the club, or at least he's, he must be yeah. up. He's, he, he was w- there he, since 2010. Yeah, he was the longest <clears throat> serving player. The longest serving player is now Emmy Martinez our reserve goalkeeper. Right, okay. <clears throat> so he's got to be the institutional memory of connecting Arsenal with the past uh, generations. <laughs> well, there's Edu there as well, I suppose. Yeah. But like, okay, the point is that if you were to if you were to look at Arsenal squad and say, okay, who is the who's the basic player, who's the fundamental player in the defence? You would say probably Koscielny. Mm. I mean, you know, if, if everyone's fit and theoretically in form or whatever, he's probably getting into the team and he's the captain. You know what I mean? Who is that now? Who, if, you, if I ask you that question now about this Arsenal defence, who, who is the sort of boss of this defence? Well, it can only be Socrates. Right. So, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's who it is right now. Okay. So he's a player who's, who's a little past his best years as well. Um, he's, got, he's flanked by Mustafi, who the problem that Mustafi has now is that his credibility is so shot that like 
anything even looks like a mistake and the whole stadium is going to be you know half of them laughing at, or the, the away fans laughing and the Emirates crowd getting right on him right and mm. that's it's it's He's in a death spiral, career-wise. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, yeah. Now he could he maybe her, he plays. He, he puts in absolutely heroic performances. He can claw back some of this, but like you know, he doesn't really look capable of doing it with this sort of lack of confidence surrounding him. It's it's a it's a vicious circle. Um, they needed someone to sort of change that because these, the, the other thing about defenders. I mean, if you're you, uh, defending, is like a team game, right? Three defenders, four defenders, uh, plus the goalkeeper. They are they're judged individually, but what they're doing is working. They're actually working together. You always say, "Oh, this guy made a mistake; it's his fault." But like the defenders will know that's not really the case. A good defense is, is a team defense, and at the moment, I just don't understand who who who's even supposed to. Where do you even start with Arsenal's defense? Who, what's what's going on here? Like you could actually have the, the the players could be better individually than they're showing but because there's no real structure there it's 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 just a rabble of individuals and they they're all looking even worse than they you know you know what i mean like it's they they i can't believe they haven't signed anybody no i mean okay there was the whole financial constraint you know, we're always hearing about Arsenal's financial constraints. Yeah, but they just, hang on, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what year it is, it's always financial constraints. Sure, okay, but they've just gone out and spent a big chunk of money on, or committed a big chunk of money to Pepe. Yeah. They've brought in the young central defender from France, Saliba, who they've loaned back. They've loaned him back. Yeah, so he's, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, you can find some method in that madness. Uh, you know, if in two years' time that guy is the, the the cornerstone of the Arsenal defense, if this is what you had to do to get it done, then fine. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you can't. I don't think there's any excuse um, to not bring in a good defender if you're willing to go out and spend all that money on a winger and it's not that Arsenal don't need or didn't need a winger of course they did yeah. I think Pepe is a great signing but you can't you can't just appear to have ignored this massive hole I mean Arsenal conceded 102 goals in the last two seasons in the Premier League they knew yeah. the Koscielny thing they must have known the Koscielny thing was an issue. Like, he, the way he behaved, not acceptable. You, you, you're you the captain of the club. You can't refuse to go on the tour and everything else. Ultimately, he got what he wanted. Arsenal are still in a position where they 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 have a big problem at the centre of their defence. I don't I don't get it, like, uh, because it's because it's so obvious. So this is what makes me wonder if, if something is going to happen in the next uh, 24 hours and this, we could end up sounding very foolish. Um, but I don't I don't understand how it's just on the most basic level. It's like you look at the you look at your squad, you look at your team. You're like, how many players have we got who can play here, 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 mm. here? And you know where where are we weak? Any Arsenal supporter looking at what had happened last season would be like, well, this is one thing we clearly need. You know, yeah. defenders, even just for numbers. You know, players are going to get injured, and they haven't done that. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what else happens. You, you know, there was the whole. Uh, you know, I saw Josh Kroenke's letter to the fans or whatever. I yeah. speak for my father and all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know, talking about the modern infrastructure and the, you know, head of football and blah, blah, you know. Uh, and obviously, this they've been kind of trying to put together a hierarchy for a while now. And kind of the first edition of it fell flat. Like Gazidis's idea of bringing in Sven Mislintat, they're both gone. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't know if you read the, the Christoph Bierman book 
uh, Christoph Biermann, who's a German football writer. Oh, I heard you talking about it on the podcast. Mm. All right. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, his book is called Football Hackers. And it's like, a, it's a book all about basically analytics, essentially. Um, but he talks to Mislintat in that. And uh, he says at one point um, that the reason Mislintat left was because he, you know, he, he, he spent a, a bit of time laying out what, what it is Mislintat does and, you know, how he sort of was, what he was doing at Dortmund and this kind of system he put together. Like he talks about, say, for instance, how Arsenal signed Torreira. Yeah. And it was because Mislintat was like, oh, um, I want to buy a player who's a bit like N'Golo Kante. I'd like to buy him, but I can't. Mm. So I'll put him in and then I'll press a button on my, you know. Jumbotron 2000. So, yeah, it's a, the, the, the Sventron. <laughs> yeah, the, Sven, the Sventron. <laughs> and I, I press a button saying, give me, give me guys who are a bit like this guy. And it spat out Torreira. Well, I'd, not just him. I mean, the yeah. other day had like Fabinho and like, was Guantuzzi on that list? I mean, there was a few, there was a few sort of players, mm. but like, that's literally how he found him. Or he's like, okay, well, you know, saying this guy is, is similar and um, let's have a look. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go looking for this guy. That's how you identify the targets, the scout, yeah. So they found, so they found Torreira. Torreira, you know, I thought was one of the qualified successes. I mean, things seemed to go a bit not so well towards the end. Like It was like, hang on, this guy just runs around fouling people the whole time. This, <laughs> this is, how can he continue to get away with this? But referees started to notice. But like, he did, he did have a great spell First half of the season was yeah. very good. Um, but anyway, getting back to the point why, why Missenthal left, uh, according to the Beerman book, it was because essentially of a, of a total clash of, of approaches with San Leahy. San Leahy, who preferred to do business by, you know, in the kind of old school way of calling up agents and like doing it that way. Like um, I heard it on the grapevine. You know, like just sort of uh, putting out feelers and and seeing seeing what's going on and who's available and this, and, and doing, yeah. doing it that sort of way. Whereas Missenthal is like, no, the answers are here in the data. We must look to the data. You don't learn anything by talking to agents. All they want to do is rip you off. I mean, that would be his attitude because he's very German, you know. Sure, but I mean, I don't think that's a, a point of view that uh, people would find hard to, uh, to to differ with. Like the idea that a football agent might just be out for the football agent first, mm. their client second, yeah. and whichever sucker club is going to buy their player third is not a difficult one to get your head around. Yeah. At the same time, it's been uh, George Mendes apparently was involved in the Nicola Pepe deal in, in some way, so Arsenal dealing mm. with those kind of agents has helped them get a player who's who's really exciting. Mm. Kier Jurabchian is involved probably uh, via Edu because they have a relationship going back to Corinthians and those kind of things. Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is, um, it is a worry that maybe that side of the talent identification is going to fall by the wayside a bit, but Arsenal do have this stat DNA. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, know, that's, it. that's in the Behrman book as well. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who, didn't the guy who's, if I remember correctly, the guy who sold it to them Maybe I'm getting mixed up because there's, there's quite a few of these sort of American... Jason guys. Rosenfeld is his name. He ended up going to like Villa with Tim Sherwood. Didn't work out. No, I don't think so. No? No, no. Some, did he end up at a lower league? No, I mean, he's still running Stat DNA from, from America. Okay. But Arsenal are using it for 
player analysis. They're using it for talent identification and, yeah. and what have you. But you know, when people talk about the, the the kind of players that Stat DNA has helped identify, they're underwhelming signings. Like, well, no, not shit. That was before, but it was Gabriel. No, sorry, actually, that's right. The, the Shamak thing. Well, the the reason Shamak came into my head is, in fact, that was what enabled them to sort of pitch successfully to Arsenal or like th- this was one of the things that well you know to be honest if we'd run the numbers on this guy we never would have signed him and Wenger was like actually yeah this could be quite good like the point of the Wenger's idea was that what this thing will help us to do is avoid schmacks like these kinds of mistakes that sap a club yeah like, but you know? did, did, uh, apparently Stat DNA also advised against signing Griezmann yeah, when he was a Sociedad or before he'd even gone to Spain you know yeah. so uh, you know I make a joke that it's basically malware uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to wait and well, see the thing about it, it is like you know the you know you, you have to work with agents like there were the yeah I mean, that's the reality isn't it? you yeah. have to as as much as as much as the data can can send you in the right direction you still have to get down and dirty with agents to make deals happen so which which Premier League club spent most on agents um, last season Liverpool Liverpool so they spent. Uh, the last figures had them spending forty-four million pounds yeah. on agents' fees, which is like ten percent of the turnover, but around that. Yeah, but it's phenomenal amount. But they won the Champions League. They got Van Dijk. They got Alisson. These these men's agents are extremely wealthy now. Yeah, but like they, you know, the the thing is that Liverpool are also, uh, you know, hailed as. Uh, one of the most forward-thinking clubs analytically. You know, there was this gushing New York magazine piece about them. Barcelona were, like, talking about how amazing Liverpool's, you know, physicists were. In oh, yeah, I mean, that they've time. got a throw-in coach yeah. and all that. So yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of... But then they're also giving agents millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds. So it's essentially two halves of, of uh, an integrated holistic approach. Uh, the key... To making it work, I think is that the people have to kind of get on with each other and not be like, you know, get your tanks off my lawn, Miss and Dad. Yeah. You know, which I get there was a, there was seems to be a bit of that between these guys. Miss and Dad, I think, was coming in expecting to be kind of running the show, and instead it's like, oh, hang on, I'm like, do I report to this guy or like, is he my boss now? Is yeah, some, some, like, he know? was he was promised the role of technical director by Ivan Gazidis. That's where part yeah. of the problem was. So um, it's one of those, um, yeah. One of those confused organizational flowcharts, and he eventually is like, "Okay, I'm out of here." And you know, the question is, you know, we'll I suppose we'll wait and see the fruits of the other approach. Mm. Edu and Raul Sanyahi, and Sanyahi has got it all to do in the next um, <laughs> 24 hours. It's coming up on 25 to five on Wednesday, so it's just over 24 hours for Arsenal to fix their defence. Oh so. yeah, or side Coutinho. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Imagine Coutinho as well arrives at Arsenal. I mean, it's like Coutinho, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Mkhitaryan, uh, Ozil, Ozil, Pepe. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. It, it just it, might work. It just might work. I don't know that it would. But look, uh, we better leave it there because we've been chatting. We for didn't talk about long. Tottenham at all. Oh, no. Well, I mean, we can briefly if you would like to. Well, I mean, they're obviously uh, strong contenders. For the Champions League places, yeah, or maybe for the doesn't Champions. seem healthy between Pochettino and, and Levy. That's a bit of there's a bit. Of, it seems to be a bit of aggro, which is interesting because if you ever read, uh, I just keep blurbing Guillaume Balaguer's books, but he did one Pochettino as well. Pochettino's book, in which he first uh, was it when he first sort of laid out like his a series of his insane beliefs about like universal energy and stuff. Oh yeah. 
you know, <laughs> I mean, you're kind of like, should we, this is, this is kind of, you, you wouldn't realize just how crazy this guy is in some ways. But like, in that, he's, the, the stuff he says about Levy, like, there's never been a, a manager-chairman relationship like it. Like, backpacking together and stuff, you know, like, oh, Switzerland, Argentina, like, just backpacking. Well, like, absolutely, like swimming, like skinny dipping, you know. I mean, it's mad stuff. Like, in terms of, like, we're, we're obviously business partners, yeah. but, like, we're really, really good soulmates as well. Um, so, it, it, whereas now he's kind of, like, giving it all this, well, maybe they need to change my job title. Maybe I am not the manager. Maybe I am merely the coach. Uh, so he's, he's keeping his trunks on next time they go swimming, that's for sure. But like they, you know, Levy like loves this image of himself as like, oh, the toughest negotiator in football. But mm. like at the end of it is like Tottenham fail to sign most of the players they're looking for. So, mm. you know, they they leave themselves short. They fell just short of winning the Champions League last season. And maybe they should have signed somebody. They maybe. did sign a, an, an Dombele, who's oh, a good no, player. Oh, no, no. I mean, sorry, I mean la, la, oh, last, last year. Last season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah. they should have signed somebody. Maybe it would have actually been worth, after all, giving Aston Villa an extra £5 million for Jack Reedish. Mm, who knows? Maybe maybe that would have, would have been wise. But, you know, it's like Levy just wants to be known as the guy who, you know, no one ever gets the better of him in a deal. You know, it's like the opposite, the anti-Woodward, the anti-Ed Woodward, <laughs> you know. And and it sometimes seems to me as though that's almost the most precious thing that he has going into the transfer window, like almost guarding his reputation rather yeah. than like what do we need to do to, you know, to, to make the squad. You see, Pochettino kind of is his own worst enemy in the sense of like he does drag performances out of players. Like he is exceptional at this, you know. Mm. He can... Like the Spurs last season was such a crazy season. They they had twenty defeats and got to the Champions League final. Like they were in the title race up till February when they just kind of collapsed. Yeah. But until then, it was like it didn't matter who got injured. You know, Kane, Ali, Eriksson, whoever. Um, the guys just come in and it doesn't matter, assemble in a new formation they've never played before with combinations of players that have never played together before and win the game. Mm. So it's a, an amazing thing that he's got, but. Again, it just seems to me as though he's been kind of left. Seeing as you're so amazing, why don't you give us another demonstration of your su- almost supernatural abilities to extract performances from thin resources? Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody here is really enjoying that. Let's not help you. Mm, I'm, so. I'm on board with that. I'm yeah. on board with that. Anyway, look, we'll leave it there, Ken. Uh, thanks as ever. really appreciate it. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks for having me. If you want to follow Ken on Twitter, you can do so. It's at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies. And Ken, of course, is part of the second captain's crew who do amazing sports podcasts throughout the year. They do a free football podcast on a Monday. The rest of their stuff is on Patreon. If you want to check it out, do so. Secondcaptains.com. That is the first of our Premier League preview podcasts on Friday. As usual, we will have an cast and we'll be looking ahead to the brand new season from an Arsenal perspective after the transfer window has closed and we have a full idea of what kind of squad we're going to have going into the new season. Will we have some new players? By the time you listen to this, we could have even signed some new players. Who knows? But join me and guests on Friday for the Premier League Preview Podcast. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.